Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show on a smoky old day up here in northern Michigan. Yes, those fires over in Canada have blanketed our skies once more, but uh, today we're actually going to be sitting down with a very good friend of mine, Brooks, who not only has a very similar mindset when it comes to customer service and sort of having a good attitude and self-motivation and all that sort of stuff that you need to be able to do a good job pretty much anywhere in our world today. He's also a bit of an enthusiast as far as hiking and climbing and all that sort of stuff, and he just recently got back from a pretty sweet adventure on the Tetons out there. Uh, out west. So we're going to hear a little bit about that, but the mainstay of this episode is going to dive into something I used to call juicing, which essentially is uh, a frame of mind that uh, someone in not just the service industry, but also in any aspect of life, whether it's relationships, friendships, um, all that sort of stuff too, um, really comes into play. And it's kind of just how you go about your, your life in a lot of ways. And so we're going to get into some of that. I don't know. It's going to be kind of off the cuff. We're going to see. I got a presentation I got to do tonight later on. We just finished up work. We're really uh, pushing the envelope here, but I have three and a half weeks left of employment uh, before we sort of kick back onto our normal schedule and start sitting down with a lot of people and getting the podcast back out twice a week. And Other than that, I do want a big, big shout out. It's the first of the month. So the Patreon people, all you guys, all that family, holy cow, I can't uh, tell you how much the support, the continued support really means to me. So uh, really, really appreciate it, and it's definitely going to help, and it, it keeps me kind of wanting to keep on trucking with this old podcast and continue it on into the future. So thank you all very much, and for anybody that might want to become a part of that family, just follow the link to the Patreon group and uh, consider joining and uh, become part of that support crew that I have, which I really, really appreciate. Uh, other than that, obviously, we still have all the shirts and all the merch available. Bunch of, bunch of different ones, I think five or six now, which is pretty cool. And then uh, link in the description for that. But if you want to follow or if you want to get in on uh, email in the show, you can just go to sailingintooblivion.com and follow the podcast link and contact the show. Those go directly to me. And uh, as I have been receiving a few inquiries and everything about different presentations and possible events that uh, want to host uh, an epic <laughs> sort of story, whether it be the round the world trip or actually just this last fall, this this presentation has really come into its own. It's exciting. It's scary. It's a little heartfelt, and uh, I think it brings home a pretty pretty sweet message. And the nice part is it's it's half um, half like a cool sea story, and then half a really good chance to learn some lessons about uh, crisis management and all that sort of stuff. So whether it's just an event at a yacht club or something like that, or it's actually a corporate uh, team building sort of exercise, you can go to the the webpage as well, and it gives you a little bit of information on that. But you can contact me through 
the website. Other than that, that's about all I got uh, as far as the announcements go. So without further ado, here we go with Brooks. Yeah, without further ado, I think, is it rolling? We just... Welcome, Brooks. Thank you. I appreciate it. To the show, man. This is this is great. Like I, I already did an intro a couple of days ago. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, when I thought we were gonna do it, and uh, and I all I hit on was the Tetons, and then I alluded to a little bit of the juicing theme. Well, that's good. Then we're done here. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 we're gonna talk about anything else. <laughs> um, I guess I don't know. Um, let's just start off with the Tetons, man, because sure. I mean, you've you've got quite a, a repertoire of going off into the wilderness and uh, climbing stuff, hiking stuff, all that. What? How? Where did um, where did it all come from? So that's a great question. Um, I've been hiking all my life. I've been outside pretty much all my life. I pretty much started, uh, my family has a cabin in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Yeah. Um, it's in a town called Sidnaw. Um, and we used to be out, outside there since I was like four years old. Um, we have an old like Willie's Jeep, like a, oh, like a 65 Willie's Jeep. Um, Jealous. and we used to take rides in that all the time. And, um, uh, I credit my uncle who kind of like got me into that sphere of being outside. Yeah. Um, and, I've, ever since then, I've always wanted to um, explore just things that are outside of my boundary. Being from the, the Midwest, everything is kind of flat, so you like to kind of get outside your comfort zone. Yeah. I've been to at least 25 national parks now. Um, some uh, for two weeks, sleeping in my car, sleeping in Walmarts or parking lots or like right by the mountain. Yeah. Um, some, um, my wildest story is I slept in this town called Concrete, Washington. <laughs> And uh, this was when I was hiking in in the North Cascades. And if you've ever been to the North Cascades, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah. Um, super secluded. And um, it was called Concrete Washington. I was in the local watering hole and they were asking, I was asking them and they were like, yeah, it's called concrete because like there's just this big concrete structure. It used to be, I was reading one of the blurbs, it used to be like a jail and this is like the warden's room. Um, and just like exploring those little places, just <laughs> yeah, like, right. just like uh, uh, f- fill, fills my bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, a decent amount. So I guess the Tetons, um, my uh, colleague, uh, who's now really one of my really good friends at, at the school I teach, um, he has wanted to hike the Middle Teton for a long time. His dad hiked the Grand Teton, which has some um, some free solo climbing if you want to do that. Um, and he was just like, you want to come with me? And I just said, yes. Um, so he planned it all. We went together, started at five in the morning. Um, up to the up to the summit and like seven hours down at about five. Oh really? Um, what's the height on that? It's twelve six, I think. I think it's and twelve thousand six hundred feet. What's the vertical that you're actually climbing? So that's like sixty two hundred. Oh, I think okay. it's it's over six thousand for sure. Um, what maybe one of the hardest things I've done. Um, but uh, you have to go over these like the all the guides they describe them as these like it's interminable, interminable boulder fields. It's just boulder fields that just keep going Gone, on forever yeah. and forever and forever. You think you're at the saddle. Nope, you got two more boulder fields. Right. Um, and that's a lot of like scrambling. And yeah, stuff. it's a lot of scrambling. Uh, Are you rigging any lines or anything? Or no, no this, this trail you don't have to. When you go on the Grand, if you hike the Grand, you can either bring rope, which is the safer option to do, or you can free solo it if you want to. Do um, climbers call it rope? Yeah, I think so. They do. It's yeah. Not line, huh? No, line's more of like a, a boating yeah, term, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> a sailing sure. term. No yeah. ropes on boats. No ropes on boats. Except for, well, there's the bolt rope. And then I think there's, somebody told me there's three different ropes on a boat. Yeah. Like technically, I don't know. I think line's cooler. That's I think me. line is cooler too. Line and halyards. Yeah, exactly. Sheets, sheets are the one that I've never understood. But 
off into the weeds we go. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that the the Boulder Fields, the only thing we ever like on the Appalachian Trail. There's two sections uh, that sort of get a little sketchy like that. There's one called. Uh, well, you definitely have to do some of that going up Mount Katahdin in the end. But then there's, I'm trying to recall what it's called. It's up in Maine, and it's like this one-mile-long stretch that's just, all it is is bouldering. You're squeezing in between, going down below them, above them, all that stuff. It's like Mahusik Notch or something. I can't even remember. But That's so cool. That stuff <laughs> is sketchy, though. Yeah. Um, did you have, like, obviously you must have, like, a day pack on, right? Yeah, just that. So it's not too big. Yeah. Um, when I go hiking, I really like to pack light so mm-hmm. I, I try to it's a fun game i play where i try to bring like the perfect amount of food which like i would not recommend but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. always it, bring more exactly just uh, it's case. just like a funny game that i like to play with myself um but i had a day pack i had hiking poles i had enough water we had some filtration sh- uh, systems to filter what do you use water. for filtration um so my buddy had this like it's like a squeeze bottle, so you dip it in and then you like squeeze it out the filter, uh-huh. and then that just filters the water automatically. It's got like a thousand oh, okay. filters. It's actually really really cool. Right, right, right. Um, so poles, food, water, um, and then I had my film camera. That's pretty much and that's all it. I had. Uh, we, we had helmets just because when you're scrambling up this um, kind of the chute that goes to the summit, yeah. if you kick a rock down, you're gonna want to have a helmet on. Uh, yeah. But definitely. just uh, super light uh, and a pair of crampons. That's pretty much it. Oh, okay, so crampons. Yeah. So is that for when it gets pretty steep and you've got to? It's more so just little... for. It's more so just for snow. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, it's, oh okay. It's so there was snow. snow up there. Yeah, um, there I'm was... from the Midwest. Yeah, <laughs> we, we get snow in the winter time. Exactly when it's supposed to happen. Um, there's like, it's like two big snow fields um, that we probably didn't need them, but it just makes it so much quicker. And just... this was in July, right? Yeah, it was about two weeks ago. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Okay. So no staying on the mountain though. You just go up, go right back. No, down. so you can. Um, there's a place. Um, it's called Lupine Meadows where you can climb oh, up I've to. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, it's like four and a half miles um, up the trailhead. Maybe it's about four. Um, but you climb that, you camp in this beautiful meadow that um, has the Middle Teton and the Grand kind of in the background. Super pretty. So you can camp there, and then you can summit it in the morning. Oh, okay, um, okay. Because yeah. I do. I've only ever seen them from you know the land out like on a road or whatever. <laughs> and the Tetons, I mean, they are striking. Yeah, they're they're very unique. I mean, I would put them in that same category of like, uh, like Mount Hood. How yeah, it's absolutely. that standalone. I've never seen Mount Rainier, or what's the other one in Washington? Like Mount Olympia or yeah. Olympic or like Mount St. Helens or Mount St. Helens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or obviously the I tell you the weirdest one. You must see in Devil's Tower. Yes, I have. I have been there. Dude, yes. that thing looks fun. Yeah, that thing's crazy. Yeah, I've heard it looks like it's glowing if it's like a real uh, bright full moon. Yes, it's. My uncle told me to see it, and I was like, "This thing looks like it's it it sounds silly." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get there, and you're like, "This thing looks like it should be in a movie. It looks like a prop. It doesn't oh, look totally. real." Um, what movie is it used in? Is that in Close Encounters of the Third, third Kind? kind. Yeah, yeah, that's what it Spielberg, is. man. Um, yeah. It, it, he talks about that. Yes. Yeah, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos of uh, him talking about why he used that and, like, when he saw it. And he's just like – because it – I mean, you know, there's those theories that that's, like, an ancient tree stump. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was – I don't know if I'm convinced on that, but that thing is just – it's so odd. Yes. It's so odd. Yeah, it, it's very – it's – what I found it so hot is just like the it's got like creases on the side that like come to mm-hmm. a point. It's like sideways mountains. I can't really 
explain it. And it, it the fact that it's in just like a flat area and then it just poof, it just it's comes just out there. of the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what was that? I mean, the explanation I think is that it's like a volcanic fissure that that it's like the inside of a volcano and the rest of the outside peeled away. Yes. And so it's just that little inner core that's mm-hmm. just still there for everyone. I don't know. I know there there's some pretty uh, amazing sights to behold yeah. out there. I've been to Rainier before, and that was the first mountain that. Other than the Tetons, I was like, "This is that looks like it's out of a movie." Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. very, very strange that it's Did just. Did you right climb there. that one? No, that's like a that's a whole different beast. Yeah, my buddy Colin, I've had him on the show. Shout out Colin, uh, and he, shout out he Colin. and his father, yeah, they went and what? Just oh, shout out, Colin. shout out Colin. Concurring, <laughs> nice. thank you, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, he and his dad did. I think they did. It was three days. Yeah, okay. Up and back, but that one, yeah, and I think they did it in the wintertime. Yeah, my buddy who I did the Middle Teton with, shout out Dom, um, he shout out Dom. wants to do it in, because a lot of like the, I wouldn't call them extreme, but they can do, you You can do Rainier in a day if, you, if, you're, oh, up at, really? if you're up at like three in the morning. And that's 15 something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's at least 15, I know that yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, But I've... I've hiked around there. The I've done the trail. I think it's called like Sourdough Pass or something, where it's the closest trail you get to like the base without going to go and oh, hike okay, it. okay, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. cool. Do they? They're like I haven't climbed much mountain. All right, I'm not gonna lie. I'm more of sea level kind mm-hmm. of guy. But uh, when we did Katahdin at the end of that trail, you know, you get up there and it's that Katahdin's just maybe five thousand three hundred something. But it's, you know, you're climbing almost all of that because you're going, you're not very high to begin with. Right. Um, but you get up there and the view and the trail that continues on to the north is called Knife's Edge. So you get up there and there's like a, the last mile is sort of like this plateau. And then you get up to the very peak and literally like the mountain just squeezes together like a knife's edge and it just blades its way down. That's so and cool. the the whole trail we didn't get to do the trail. My dad and I went up there, and so we had to come back down. But go, it's like skinny. Like you're like on this teeny little ridge, and it just looks daunting. It looks scary, but it's absolutely beautiful, man. That's awesome. Those views just, I think they're well worth the climb. I mean, I I like the act of going up those hills too. Like the anguish and the the defeat, and then the just charging for mm. it. You yeah, know? absolutely. My my same buddy Dom. He was ex- he said this phrase. He was like. As we were going up the mountain, he said to me, oh, this is type two fun. <laughs> and apparently there's this fun scale where yeah. it's like type one fun is like, oh, it's a little exhausting, but the view is great. Type two fun is like the view or like we're hiking and it's really tiring, but the view is great. Type three fun is like, this sucks. But it's I'm hiking five it. miles up a mountain. I'm not seeing anything. I, mean, I got so much more hard stuff to go. So and that that phrase was thrown around in Jackson a bunch. People were like, "Oh, this is type two fun." Type two. Like, that's that's silly. <laughs> we always talk about adventuring uh, as there's there's adventures that are fun while you're doing them, and there's adventures that are fun when you're done. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like in my life uh, I lean towards the second one a lot more. Um, I don't know why, and you might be able to shed some light on this because anybody that spends a lot of time out out in nature has to deal with a lot of discomfort. I mean, you know, outside of like glamping and stuff like that, which is fun and and it's fine. When you put yourself way out there and you're on like a minimalist sort of gear selection and all that sort of stuff, there's so many times where you're just uncomfortable. It's not, 
it, you know, it's not what you would think that we would just always want to seek out, but for whatever reason we do. And then I feel like the rewards really do. The rewards are like enhanced because of that discomfort that you have to go through. Yeah. My, um, my strength and conditioning coach in college, he had this phrase where he would say, okay, boys, it's time to embrace the suck. Yeah. When we yeah. were, when we'd be doing conditioning and uh, that kind of phrasing really sticks with me in terms of hiking, just, um, Understanding that that you you do the hard stuff to get the payout. Not yeah. everyone in the world can do the hard stuff to get to the the scenic view at, at the end. Um, I was actually the buddy I was road tripping with. Um, we were driving around Yellowstone, and we were feeling like our buckets weren't that full because you can just drive to all of the cool things. And we were like, wouldn't it be cool to hike five miles and then you appear upon Yellowstone Falls like you were in like the 1700s or 1800s when they found it? Yeah, yeah. There's something gratifying about taking the time and burning the calories to really get there because otherwise it's not as fulfilling. I think it's also not fulfilling that that kind of everyone can do something or like everyone can be in the same area at one time. That's why a lot of these a lot of these trails they've started to have um, lottery systems for, like specifically um, Angel's Landing in Zion National Park. It's this beautiful trail, but um, it kind of goes up this traverse. It's really skinny. It's got these chains, and mm-hmm. that used to be open to the public for everyone, and now they have a lottery system where you have to get a permit in order to hike it just because there's so many people there. Oh, right, right, right. And it's not in terms of ruining it for everyone else. It's just, one, it's obviously a safety factor, but it's more so just... I'm under the belief that isolation and hard work equals something beautiful. It's it's very, very pretty how that operates. It's very gratifying to hike eight miles and then sit down and you're there and you get to sleep there and then you get to pick up and go. Um, on paper, it makes no sense. Yeah. It makes no sense well, at all. Well, it begs the question of like, well, why? I mean, if you have to go through all that to get to that final final spot, but you had the option of just getting to the final spot, I mean, I, in in my brain, it makes sense, but I'm always curious to find out why other people think the same sort of way about you know having to go through that stuff makes the payout better. Yeah, I I empathize with that completely. When I'm looking on all trails at trails, I'm always looking at the hard categorizations or like the eight to ten mile ones. Mm-hmm. If I see something that's point two, even though it's great, I don't feel as satisfied when I get there even though the, the the payoff in theory could be the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like uh, I hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon with my dad. Um, we Ooh, did which, which trail? South Kaibab to Bright Angel, so South Rim to South Rim in, oh, okay. in, inherently, but we went down and up in the same day. Yeah. Um, yeah that's and a, when you get to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, it doesn't look like anything spectacular. You see the Colorado River, but you can't see all the way up yeah, until you get yeah. to that kind of second and third level. You're just in a valley. But something about being down there saying to people, oh, hey, I touched the Colorado River yeah. at the bottom of the Grand Canyon is, for me, very, very gratifying. Not in, not just in terms of like a prideful sense, but just thinking about every single person that has done that before me and how it's gotten kind of progressively easier. Like I've always wanted to pick the brain of someone who went down and up and they, they didn't have a trail. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't feel like they had adequate supplies. But just to kind of see the first person. I've, I've always wanted to interview oh, or talk yeah, to the first yeah, person yeah. to be at I these views. Saying, yeah. And just what that means to be the first person there and to see these things. Um, like I – one of the uh, – 
photographers that I really like is Ansel Adams, and mm-hmm. just um, he's a very famous national park photographer. He was em- uh, employed by I forget which administration to take pictures of all the national parks, and just seeing these views that he has that probably not a lot of people had, but he was paid to go and see these places really like warms my belly that yeah, that yeah, yeah. J- that just like people hold these places so close to our hearts that we're able to appreciate them and i don't know how much more we have left just in getting in more of an environmental philosophical route right, uh, right but just trying to appreciate it while it's here yeah um and understanding that <clears throat> these places may look totally different in 20 years and trying to get to see as many of these places as we can to build that kind of rolodex of not just I've seen these places and you haven't, but just to kind of reflect on them over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, not taken for granted at all. I mean, they say the Great Smoky Mountains, I think, is is probably one of the busiest of all the national parks. Yet, I think most people that go there barely make it over a few hundred yards. Right. Like on any of the trails or, or maybe they go up to Clingman's Dome or right. something like that. Um, but I, I remember reading in Bill Bryson's book, uh, walk in the woods, shout out Bill Bryson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shout out Bill. He talks about Gatlinburg, which is like, Oh a yeah. Trap yeah, town. yeah. Yeah. And he's like, that's far more popular than the actual yeah. park. And it's like, yeah. And then you got Dolly world and stuff like that. Not, not saying those places are bad or anything, but yeah. Taking, taking, uh, account of just how beautiful mother nature has provided us with these, these spots. And I think America definitely has more than its fair share absolutely absolutely majestic wonderful and i think it's kind of crazy to note that you know most of the stuff's only about ten thousand years old right you know yes. this lake that we're yeah, on young. wasn't here not that long ago right and i mean well i think the first glacial pond is sunfish pond down in oh, i think it's when you cross over into new jersey from delaware on okay. the at so that's how far south it really the the ice cap went or right. whatever it is um and so you kind of that that was always a weird spot because you pass that and all of a sudden you're sort of like holy cow all the landscapes here have been marred by two mile thick ice sheet coming down you right know? and so you're thinking wow this is all like virgin new stuff even though we've you know when i think about michigan it's always kind of crazy because they've clear cut this state i don't know twice Really? Back in the day, yeah, to build the cities back, you know, Vanderbilt and all them. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the towns uh, around here were spawned just as, like, little logging towns. And then they grew, and then they cut all the trees down, and then they kind of left. But some of them just clung on and everything. And there was um, – East Jordan was always pretty interesting because they had East Jordan Ironworks right downtown. Oh, yeah. It was this grisly-looking old black factory with old, like, smokestack. They, now they finally upgraded and, and – broke it all apart and stuff but uh it was always just i don't know there was something i don't want to say pretty but there was something that's always enticed me about seeing evidence of like the industrial age where you know it was just like let's burn stuff to melt stuff right. to make stuff yeah on such a scale that you're like whoa yeah that's funny i visited my sister in duluth minnesota and oh yeah they have these big like copper tankers that are coming through and these ships are gigantic and they are as old school as when they were built a hundred years ago oh yeah um and like so much that you i mean inherently it's just a big boat but the fact that it's still carrying these resources that have been carried for the last 100 years oh yeah well it's awesome you know i mean obviously like the panama canal and stuff huge and and world is traveling through there but pretty sure the 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 sioux locks up there 
are the busiest locks in the world. I know it used to be not that long ago. If it's not, still is. There's just a huge amount of stuff coming. That whole Lake Superior area is just like there's just constant flow. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. I've always wanted to go up and see them. I've never seen them before. But you get those thousand footers that just rip through there and yeah, right onto the St. Lawrence or not St. Lawrence. So what does that connect? Lake Superior to Lake Huron. Yeah, Lake Huron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they go all the way down. Yeah. Well, I mean. But it makes sense, though. You got Canada, you got all the western states, all that stuff. I'm sure there's tons of railroads and everything going right to it. Just right. And Duluth was, yeah, that's that's right in the corner, isn't it? Yeah, it's right in the corner. It's like on the border of Minnesota. And is it the UP? Is it Wisconsin? There's it's like a tri-state area up there. It's and and dude, it's so. Have you ever been to Boundary Waters up there? No, I've always wanted to go. It's glorious. Always wanted to go. Glorious. It's ridden with ticks. Yes. I mean, it's awful. We (laughs) we we got up there one year and we must have been there during the hatch. I mean, they were just the dog ticks or the little you know the little burgundy colored ones. Oh yeah. Uh, I think some call them. Some people call them wood ticks. Yeah. I mean. Three, four of them every day. You got them on you, like to the point where you almost you stopped like plucking them off. You're like, all right, way to go. You you can have me <laughs> yeah, for a little bit because they just drop off of you. But right. there is, I don't know. That was that, and they always had since they had that big fire 10, 15 years ago. Um, they always are so quick to cancel fires mm-hmm. for camping. That that burns my britches. Right. Man. Closest thing I've been to there was I've been to Isle Royale. Oh, you have, and um, the story of getting there is maybe a whole. I'll tell. I'll tell a little bit briefly. But we were on the Queen Four. The, um, this sounds hardy. It was hardy, and then we. <laughs> we what time of year did you go? Uh, it was in the summertime, okay. kind of late summer. Um, but we're in we're in Copper Harbor. We get on the boat. It's like five in the morning. Captain comes on the boat. Big storm happening right now. Yeah. Hi everyone. Um, this is your captain speaking. This is the worst storm I've encountered in the 35 years I've been a captain of this boat. Here we go. Whoa. So we go, we set out, and this boat is just tipping back and forth so much that my cousin falls asleep, and they are, when they're asleep, are sliding back and forth as the boat goes. Oh, wow. My family's throwing up. Just It yeah. was horrible. But we get there. We get off the boat. How long did it take? Six hours? Yeah, it was like six and a half hours. <laughs> I think it normally takes around four. Oh, it was six and a half God. hours. Yeah, we I think we got we pulled up to the to Isle Royale and it was start it just cleared up. We we're like, okay, that that's fitting. But uh at Isle Royale, the black flies oh, they are really they bad? are so bad. They're bad yeah. from kind of I think it's like a mid July to like the end of August. Mm-hmm. They're so bad. You have to like j- just wear a, a face next the, the entire yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'll tell you, I when when we talked earlier about like going through misery and discomfort, like I can go through sleeping in a mud puddle, not getting any sleep, um, being accosted by porcupines, skunks, whatever. Uh, but man, the bugs, the bugs, no, the bugs, I totally, the bugs, I totally get you. They're like I across totally that, that line, just barely. But man, like they're. I you know up where we go in Sylvania wilderness so that's up right on the border of yeah um little town's called Waters Meet okay home of the Nimrods that's their <laughs> uh, high school mascot and it's it's about six hours it sounds like it's probably just a bit past where your your guys cottage okay. is um, but sometimes the mosquitoes are just I mean 
absolutely horrendous just all over you yeah you, you know you're like hiding in your tent and stuff have you ever used those thermocell things no i haven't they're not that bad really they actually how like, do you use them all it is a little container thing and it has it it burns basically some sort of butane or whatever and it's it's emitting some sort of chemical that's you know keeping them away on those trips, we we got to the point where yeah, we would take like one or two of them up, and just when you're sitting around the campfire or whatever, you'd throw those out. And I wouldn't say it got rid of all of them, but it would go from you know having seven or twenty around you at all times, trip, just trying to land, to being like maybe one. Yeah, which was astounding for us because yeah, dude. I mean, I don't mind wearing the whole face net stuff, but. It's not ideal, mm. and even then, when you're when you're wearing it, they're still buzzing around your ears and say, everything. The I was having a conversation with someone about if you could eliminate one sound from the world, what would it be? <laughs> Mine is a mosquito buzzing by your ear when you're trying to like sleep, it, just about to get, and then there's like one yeah. in your tent. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, <laughs> give me spiders. Yeah, all seriously, day long, all Absolutely. day long. <laughs> oh man, well, I, you know, I I can remember one. One trip where I, there was, I don't know how many of us, but we had three different tents and I was in my own little, I, I didn't use a tent. I was using a tarp. I thought that was even cooler because it was a little more ultra light. Sure. And I set it up in this one spot and it looked good, but it was a divot. And man, when it started raining that night, like it woke me up and I'm kind of looking around and then I was able to get back to sleep. But then I woke up with the saturation feeling because I'm just, you know, on a sleeping pad on the ground, but basically i was in a puddle now right. and it's you know you look at your watch and you're like whoa it's 11:30 at night and it's just driving rain and you're just sitting there and there's nothing you could do right and i'm i'm pretty sure i did not sleep another second until i think the sun came up probably around like 5 5:30 and those sort of those moments like i look back on that as a great memory mm mm-hmm. It was not great at the time, but there was there was a point where like they the rest of the guys they were like, "Dude, stop laughing, <laughs> I'm trying to sleep." And I was just I don't know I it was so everything had gone so wrong that it just sparked this almost uncontrollable laughing fit, uh, where I'm just like, "This is comically bad." Yeah, right. And I I what I wonder and what I ponder sometimes is how how come we can't just turn that switch on and off you know whenever we encounter some sort of bad situation or some situation that's not fun being able to you would think it'd be easy to just choose like to take it from the fish video choose your attitude and sort of be like huh you know this this could be really funny later on in life so let's just enjoy it I mean, it's not that easy, though. Yeah, I would say a a bad situation, when you encounter a bad situation outside, it's very easier to deal with it than it is like a bad situation inside. I I can understand it just from just being a high school teacher, just talking to parents, and if if or if something just kind of blows up in your face, a lesson. Yeah, it's very hard to deal with it in that moment because then I, now I have to sit with my thoughts about how this impacts everybody else that I've ever interacted with in that kind of microcosm of a setting. Yeah, when I'm outside and I'm dealing with something bad, either kind of the the, uh, the situation that you described, or we took a wrong turn on a trail, we're three miles in the other direction. I don't know. I that kind of brings a, sm- a, a smile to my face just 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 because that's it it's not deeper than anything it's just this is this is what it is Ooh, the situation is in front of us yeah there's nothing to do there's nothing to think about other than 
either getting through the next six hours of not being able to sleep or just we're just going to walk the three miles back that we just did over whatever terrain we, 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 we just did. I think taking the, the thinking out of it and really putting your – and outside, being outside does that to you. It yeah. takes all of the, the – I wouldn't say mental stress, but, but, but just those, the, those factors of anything in society that, that you have to deal with. It just takes it away. So once you take away all those layers – if you, I only have to deal with one layer, even though it sucks, it's way it's easier one, to deal with yeah, than everything else. You can almost take it on as just like, oh, this is an additive to this adventure. This is just one extra challenge that exactly. I'm going to overcome. It's not like, you know, the raccoons out here are going to be judging me and they're not going to want to hang out with me later. Right. You know, you're, you're pretty much, it is cut and dry. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Right. Yeah, I can remember going up, what was that? This might have been the Narrows in Zion. And I had hiking poles. And at the same time, both my hiking poles snapped. <laughs> and I'm nice. like, okay, I'm four miles down this river. I just used, I'm climbing over these boulder-like rocks. They're slippery. Everyone next to me has, like, the tourist trap of a big walking stick. Yeah, they got yeah, these yeah. ankle boots. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well. Better start walking. I mean, I'm, nothing else is going to happen if, if I don't start walking. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I also have that with, excuse me, uh, my... It's a bush light, man. Exactly. It it's, does it. It's so good. Um, my <laughs> <laughs> sponsor, sponsor this podcast, please. Oh, bush, Anheuser-Busch. Oh, man. Um, my, uh, that, that same uncle that I talked about in the beginning, my cousin and my dad, um, there's these two waterfalls that connect around my, my cottage in the UP. Um, one is Bond Falls and one is Canyon Falls. Or no, Agate Falls, sorry. Bond Falls and Agate Falls. And they're connected by the Sturgeon River. Oh, okay. So, nice. we, were, so we were like, let's go hike the Sturgeon River. Let's go hike from, from Bond Falls, at the bottom of Bond Falls to the top of Agate because they flow into each other. Uh-huh. Bond Falls and Agate Falls the most miserable six hours in my life. Like absolutely miserable. We're in waist deep water. These rocks are like bowling balls. So they're big. I'm stubbing my toe like crazy. All of us are falling over. I've never heard my dad swear as many times in that, that kind of span of six hours. Just, it was just miserable. But we get to the end and we get to Agate Falls and we are giggling like little schoolgirls just right, because right. we were just thinking to ourselves that was so dumb. We inherently wasted six hours to see two things that we've already seen before, and we just hiked in this river. We didn't do anything special. Everyone, I, I would honestly, looking at it objectively, I'd call it dumb. But just the fact that we were able to do it, and in the in the company of people yeah, yeah. that we love and care about, I think just added so much more of a okay, we can look back on this, and we all can understand the frustration anger and then Im- immortal bliss we had when we reached the end yeah, of it yeah 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 well and i i think there's something to be said for that too of of uh you know as you're taking on these challenges you know there's there is a decisive and and you know plain in sight goal is like to get to that end spot so even for for my trip like around the world it's to get back here that's the goal and so i don't know i i feel like that's part maybe that's part of why even when adversity gets thrown at you and it's not fun, it's sort of, I don't know, it's just adding on to, to what you have to go through to get there. And I, I think you definitely understand, and I know I do, that the more you have to go through, the more rewarding it's going to be at that end. Absolutely. That that spot is just going to, it's going to be a little sweeter to just take a seat afterwards. Right. And 
I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely had to um, mentally project myself to the end of my voyage when, when I was in the Pacific you get about two thirds of the way across, and then you have to. That's when you start to make your your trip down to Cape Horn, and so you're you're in the Southern Ocean. You're in a place called the the Roaring Forties. It's a pretty ugly spot, but then you get down to below fifty degrees south to get down to Cape Horn, and that's the Furious Fifties. It's really dangerous. It's cold. It snows. You know all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know north of you is the Marquesas and then, you know, the Tuamotos, Tahiti, all that sort of stuff, you know, two weeks away. Or you can keep going on this challenge and head further into the belly of the beast, mm. so to speak. And I can remember, you know, you're out there for days and you're just, or weeks, sorry, months actually, and you're you're just by yourself and the choice is yours the whole time to be like, well, I could just go north. And then maybe go through the Panama Canal or maybe stop at these islands. Um, but I had to, the one thing that really helped me was projecting myself to the end of the trip, pulling into Gloucester and sort of being like, how do I feel? And I, I played it out in my head of like all the wants that I would have loved to have like stop in one of these fancy, crazy islands and then go through the canal and how cool that would be. And then you come up and and all this stuff, and you still have sailed around the world, but you didn't do what you set out to do, mm-hmm. and how how I would feel, and I knew, I knew for a fact that I would have always questioned if I did the right thing, made the right choice, or you know what it would have been like to actually go all the way down to Cape Horn, that sort of thing, and that was, you know, in the end, when I really thought it through, I was just, I have to just, I have to keep trying, right. I have to go further, I have to take that, that last ugly dip down south before i can finish this thing yeah my my dad would always tell me that your character is defined by what you do and no one else is looking and um, just understanding that and i totally empathize with that no one's gonna like i can still say that i did these things no one's gonna know except for me and the fact that for me no one's gonna know except for me makes me want to do all the other harder stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Just and it's not for the sake of telling people. It's just for the sake of me of wanting to have that fulfillment when I get to the final destination. Um, yeah, I I I know that the phrasing is like cheating yourself, right? In in terms, of, but you're cheating yourself of the of the pleasure of doing the thing that gets you to the final thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't you have to live with that as trivial as it may be. But then those things add up over time. Um, and it's all about kind of sticking to your guns and setting out doing what you wanted to do. Well, and I think that's a big part of, of what makes character too is, you know, when you are, I don't want to lose how I'm, I'm trying to say this, but essentially when you start going down a road uh, and you take the easy way and you take the easy way, uh, that becomes the character that you are. You're the guy that takes the easy way. Right. And you're going to take it and you're going to continue. And, you know, if you're the type of person who's like, you know what, no, I'm going to I'm gonna do exactly what I said I was going to do. I'm going to stick it out. It's not fun, but I'm going to do it. And you continue on with that. That, again, is is your character right there. Right. And I, I definitely agree with that. Um, Robin Knox Johnson, the first person to make it around the world back in 1968 and 69, he was out for like 312 days or something on a boat very similar to mine, except his was made out of teak. And uh, 
Um, one of the things that he kept saying in his book when he would get super down uh, was that you know he didn't want to let down the me that got him there. Oh, if wow. that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Where, so it's you know you're sitting there, and I that was like a mantra for me in the Indian Ocean when like the um, water maker exploded and stuff, and I'm sitting there looking at it, and I'm like, well, I've gotten this far, and you know I'm that person, but I'm not technically that person is in the past and he did all this stuff to get me here. And if I quit now, then, you know, I'm just letting that guy down. And I, you know, obviously you're just letting yourself down, but like, it's an interesting perspective. It's an interesting sort of way to look at it where almost anything could be applied to that. Yeah. Like, yeah, even, even working here, you know, you have a couple rough days or you're really tired or it's the end of the season and you're like, ah, and you know, you think you're like, well, yeah, but I mean, for the last 10 weeks, I've been charging pretty hard. Right. Only a couple of weeks left. Stick it out and we can do this. Exactly. You know? And, and uh, you know, not just here, but any job, I suppose. Yeah, I had I had, had never thought about that way. And just in terms of hiking or doing anything, right, do I, do I want to let down the person who four hours ago was really jazzed about getting on the trail at yeah, 6 in the morning, yeah, right? right? Would this person be happy with me if, uh, I well, I felt like I didn't want to do it when I got 2000 yard or uh, 2000 feet up the hill. I'm, I'm done. See you later. So yeah, I, I'm going to steal that steal away, <laughs> sir. Yeah. Steal away. No, I don't know. I, I've just always, I've always been curious about what motivates people to do things that are hard. I mean, essentially it's bare bones. That's it. And it, you know, you can say, yeah, the rewards are good. Uh, but then there's also that whole thing, you know, it's about the journey, that cliche. And if that's the case, then if it's about the journey, well, then the journey should just be all good all the time. Exactly. Right. I mean, you could lawyer it up like that. I, I don't know. It's an interesting subject. Cause there are, there's, there's people in this world that literally their entire life is just a challenge. Right. And, and one that they've created themselves because they choose to take on these, these challenges, these adventures, things like that. I guess you could also say there's people that don't choose to do it, and then their life is changing. You know, you get somebody you come down with like MS or something like that, and now your your life's not going to be easy. And are you going to get out of bed? Are you going to do stuff? Are you going right. to are you going to move forward, or are you just going to be like, well, I guess it's Netflix for the next forty years? Yeah, and the I always think about um, Alex Honnold. There's this interview with him, um, and people are asking him why are you doing what you're doing, and he simply just says, I don't know. I'm just I'm just doing it. He's really deadpan. I'm, I'm just doing it. Yeah. And that I, I think is the emotion that I kind of revel in is I don't necessarily I can't explain the cosmos of why I want to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. And I'm completely okay with that. I'm okay with kind of sitting in the in the under the stars of the unknown and saying to myself, This is something I like to do and that's the only reason that I need. And I don't think that you people have to have this crazy backstory or maybe necessarily trauma or this like huge goal setting to, to try to do it. It's just it's just something that I want to do. Yeah. And if it's going to fill fill my bucket at the end of the day, then that's the only reasoning that you need. And, you, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you want to do it, that's the only reason that you need. Right. So I, I always revel in the fact that someone has like – quote unquote cool as him 
can just simply say to someone, I don't know why I'm doing this. And then everyone just goes, okay, well, that's fine. And then they just kind of move on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And obviously he's doing feats that, I mean, you and I could couldn't even dream makes of makes my palm sweat just right thinking seriously about it. but insane the, but so I, dangerous yeah but i th- I, th- I think that a- anyone can have that perspective you don't have to have the grandiose backstory to well it's all relative too exactly you know for him i i don't know i'd be interesting to sit down with him at some point and be like so when you say you go sail out to bermuda across an ocean something like that and who knows he might be like what exactly no way, dude. That's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either he's he is. I've I've watched a few of his interviews. There was one too that was pretty funny where he was like, this guy asked me like, why I climb without ropes, and I just told him that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm just like, that's awesome. Yeah. I I get asked that quite a bit. You know the why, um, and I you know. Rather than just be up there and say I don't know, I've had to put like a lot of thought into it because. Not only for my own self, because I am kind of curious, um, but just to be able to answer that question, because I know it's always coming, right. always, during those presentations and stuff. But I think uh, the answer is the answer, where it's sort of like, I am. I was always curious about this stuff. I When I read Bill Bryson's book about the Appalachian Trail, I was curious to know what that was like in real life. Because it sounded really fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounded like it was hard. It sounded like a real big challenge. But I was curious, like, what would it be like to do that? And what, what is, what am I going to react to? Like, is, is my body going to be able to do that? Is my mind going to be able to do that? How is it going to change me? I have all these questions. And it was the same with, for, for all the sailing trips that I do, where it's like, I want to see what's, what, what's going to happen to me if I try that. Right. I have this curiosity and that, that's the the closest thing to an actual answer I've ever had for mm. that question. Cause you could say, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some people if they want to be like blatantly, you know, honest would be like, well, I'm doing it, you know, for, for fame and glory or this or that. And that's fine, you know, cause everybody's got their own reasons for right. sure. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like your, I kind of like your explanation better. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's just like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know. I don't know. There, there is um, there's a really interesting book about uh, the first race around the world on sailboats called uh, A Voyage for Mad Men by Peter Nichols. And really great. It delves into all these nine sailors that go and try and do it. Short synopsis, nine sailors set off, 1968. Only one of them makes it back and wins the race. Uh, you know, one of them sort of kind of loses it a little and continues sailing around the planet another lap almost. You know, one person dies, um, you know, people, people's boats sink, people give up, you know, after the fact, people had killed themselves. And it was pretty, you know, it was daunting. And for a while, like, nobody even attempted it. They were just like, well, we shouldn't do that anymore. Mm. That was bad. The results aren't great. Um, but uh, one of the things that they talk about in that book is something he, and I don't know if it's, it's he, the, the author that describes it or has tagged it or whatever you want to call it, um, but he calls it the Ulysses factor. And he says that certain people have this like gene almost where they are just motivated to go out and do these things, usually by themselves, and experience this, this adventure, the suffering, the glory, whatever you want to call it. 
and then bring that back and share that with the world. And then after a bit of time, they end up having to go back out. And it's like, it's almost like a sickness. Yeah. And it's something that I, that, that resonated with me when I read that book. I was like, oh, I feel that. Yeah, I'm definitely. I think I'm coming down with a little. Yeah. This <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I have never heard that before, but that's me to a T. I went, I did a two week trip by myself, car camping. Uh, I did a national park tour of um, of Utah. Oh, and then nice. when I got back, like fi- like back in my house, showered, all the pampering, ready to go. Yeah. The next day, I was like, okay, well, what's next? What's next? Yeah. Now where, where now where am I gonna go? It is like sickness, and for me, that's why I I don't like to spend the summers that I have off. I don't like to spend them in my apartment. Because I, it just feels like I'm, I'm wasting valuable mm-hmm. time. Yeah. In the last month, maybe a little more than a month, I think I've been my, in my apartment for like 72 hours. Really? Yeah. Nice way to go. Um, and it's not that I get like anxious. It's that I, I just feel like I, I, I have to, I have to do something. I, I cannot sit. In my apartment, even though my apartment has great amenities, I I, I can't sit there. It's little soaps. Exactly, little exactly. I can't sit there knowing that there's so many other things I could be doing right now, yeah, yeah. and so many things that I would that I want to be doing right now. So I've in because during school I'm kind of landlocked, so I really take that time to kind of get not like get all out, but like. I mean, maybe it is get all out. Just, just get all that energy out that has been cooped up for the nine months that I'm teaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that like nervous, anxious energy doesn't come from my job. It just comes from the fact that I know that I have like a certain amount of time uh-huh. that I can do these things in. And well, I was just gonna ask you, was like, do you actually do you ever ponder that? Because I I think a lot about the. I've always said that you know the only thing that that people actually own and have is time. We've got our time. We don't know how much of it we have. Nobody does. Uh, But it's our most valuable asset by far. You can't buy any more of it. Um, And it's, and you can, but you can give it away. Yeah. You're giving me (laughs) your time right now. And I thank you for that, sir. Um, But it's when you put it in, into what you're talking about, do you ever, do you ever wonder like, I know I do, but do you ever think about like, wow, well, what am I going to be able to fit into the rest of my summers? I think about that all the time. Really? All do you the have time. a checklist at all? It's not necessarily a checklist. It's just when I sign up, <laughs> like my um, my girlfriend talks about this. Shout out Sarah. She says Shout like, out Sarah. She says like, you have to book me a week oh. <laughs> where you're here. Like, you have to book me a week Yeah, yeah. Um, in the summertime. And- I, I always say to the people I interact with, my friends or family, that I blink and it's August. And yeah. It's August right now. Right. Um, just, I, yeah, I mean, I like to, I f- think about the summers as like a ticking clock until I get to the first day of school. And I try to fill that time with as much as I can. Yeah. Just because I know that when I get to the school year, it's all hands on deck. Like this is my sole focus. Is yeah. This is my my purpose in the world. This is what I live for and what I do. This is why I'm here. So I devote my full energy to it. Yeah. When I don't have to do that, 
I get to kind of explore the other reaches of my curiosities and my endeavors. So I think about it as like when the first day of summer hits, it's like, okay, I have however many hours to do every single thing that I want to do that I've kind of thought of. Um, How many, so how many days do you have in the summer then? So it's like a little under three months. I always like to think of it as like 70 days, 70 days, It's like 70 days. Wow. Yeah. Steve Callahan was in a life raft for 72 days Whoa. on the Atlantic. Think of it as you're on Callahan time. I'm on, Calli- I'm on Callahan, Callahan time. time. I'm taking that, too. I'm taking that, too. It's cool. I'm on Callahan yeah. time. He was in a life raft. Yeah, he he uh, he hit something. This is back in the 80s. American Solar Star. He built his own boat, and he was coming back from... Oh, like Spain or something like that. He was going to go to the Caribbean. He hit something like three, four days out and uh, ended up in his life raft that night. And back then, we didn't have E-perbs and all sorts of stuff. And essentially, yeah, he just sat out there and he drifted all the way across and was found by fishermen off a Guadalupe in the Caribbean. Oh, my God. 72 days later. He had lived off of fish and eyeballs. And I think he caught some birds, but I'm not sure. His story is pretty insane. It's called a drift. Okay. Oof. It's frightening. It's like it's you have to if you're going to be a solo sailor. You, you've read that story many times. Right. I mean, these days, it's it would be very hard, I think, to be stuck on the ocean for that long. Although there is that Australian guy who just got picked up off of. I think he was out there for like a month or something with his dog. Oh my god! I, really? I, I saw some blurb. People keep talking to me about it. Like I, they're they're like, dude, what do you think about that guy? I was like, I. I I only saw a 30 second clip. <laughs> I don't, I didn't dive into it, but you know, being a solo sailor, right. like, did you see that sailor buddy? Did you know him? <laughs> <Did> you, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. No, I did not know that guy. I don't know. It's just that uh, it is, it's amazing, man. That's, that's pretty cool that you just go full till and just, yeah, just burn your summer right, right through and through as best you can. Yeah. And some teachers, they like to think about it as, like they rest, they don't go anywhere. They maybe go on like a, a week vacation off and on. But I think I would feel worse about myself if I didn't jettison out to all the places that I wanted to go, even if it's coming back here for two weeks out of the summer. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Doing something that I don't usually get to do in the nine months out of the year where I'm fully dedicated to the craft that I'm doing makes me makes me recharged and ready to go for the next school year even though i may be more physically tired physically exhausted uh, mentally i'm just i'm sharp well and that yeah that that rings true in in a lot of ways even like on a micro scale of you you know we're working like six days a week here three four nights a week as well and you know saturday comes and it's sort of like man i just want to i want to lie in bed i want to watch go and take naps and just right and then the end of that day comes and you don't feel fulfilled at all. Exactly. You, you really haven't done a whole lot. And you think, yeah, you might be a little physically rested, I suppose. But mentally, you're just like, wow, I blew it. Exactly. Blew it. No, I, I totally feel that way. And when Absolutely. you get out and about and you're just like, you know what, let's just hard charge. I mean, it's 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 easier towards the end of a season because you're like, whoa, we've only got like three weeks left. But in the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, we got all summer. Right. Got all summer. Yeah. (laughs) Those are the words that just get you. Like, oh, you know, I'll do it next year. Exactly. I always, uh, it always rings chills down my spine when I hear people say that. Like, oh, we're going to, we're going to just do that someday. Someday. It's like, ooh. 
the devil's words. <laughs> the devil's words. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, oh, that's I. I feel like we just go on and on, man, about like camping. Camping for me, like I, I definitely like obviously taking on challenges, right? But I also, I love like this place we're going to uh, in a couple weeks. Here is literally, you know, you pop the canoe in, you're fishing. The camp spots are just beautiful. They're pretty close to the water. It's just, I don't know, it's it's majestic. There's loons flying around. It's not arduous, though. Mm. Like, the portages might be, you know, 100, 200 feet. Uh, and on the map, they're called rods. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they use the rod scale. That's so awesome. Like 33 rod, we can handle that. Yeah. There's one that's like 140 rod, which I think is over a mile, okay. uh, which is insane. But that will be so restful, both physically and mentally, uh, but also... I cherish the memories of going up there, you know, with these people or even by myself. There's something about just diving into that, that the woodland realm. And we're lucky that there aren't cougars and, and, you know, grizzlies and things like that that want to eat us all the time. You know, I, if there's one thing for all the varmint campaigns back in the day was that they did make it a lot safer to just go out in the woods yeah, and start that's sleeping true. in a tent. Yeah. Um, have you ever read Stephen Herrero's uh, Bear Attacks no, or I Causes and Avoidance? Oh, it's, uh, wow. It, most of it, though, takes place back in the 60s and 70s when they had the, the bear dumps at all the places. Oh, so okay. bears were eating human food exactly. and they were like, wow, next level. Where yeah. do I get more? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but some of the stories are just – I always take a copy with me, and we read it out loud. Because <laughs> like, there, there's one where these three boys, and they're out camping. I think it's in Yellowstone. And, you know, 2 in the morning, one of them gets ripped out of the tent, gone, mauled. He's dead. The other two, boom, they scurry up trees. And this bear, over the next, like, 30 minutes, just proceeds to slowly crawl up, grab one by the foot, pull it down, eat it. And then go grab the other one. one. And it's not just like a mauling and then leave, like, like literally wolfing down some meat. Jeez. Oh my God. That's unbelievable. And I, and I do think, you know, that's, that's one of the, the nice parts. That's why I think of this place that we're going as sort of like a sanctuary because I don't even think there are even bears up there anymore. Mm -hmm. We still hang our food out of, uh, tradition. Right. Yeah. There you go. You know, (laughs) uh, you go to boundary waters, you get moose, you get all that sort of stuff. But, I don't know. I, I, I know it's kind of like a little side thing, but uh, the woods these days, they're just they're just so nice. They're so pleasant. And uh, I, I if I don't get my little woodland, you know, time each year or two, I, I feel it. I start to itch. No, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it just doesn't feel right. But having said that, I just talking to you for this little bit about some of the adventures that you've been doing that, that makes me want to up the game a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does. Any, any of your, what, what would you say are some of your favorites all time, all time. Um, so the hikes I did in, in the North Cascades in Washington were amazing. Um, those are like the, the, the Swiss Alps of, of the U S mm. um, it's that type two fun where it's like, okay, I, I have to walk four miles uphill through a forest before I even get to the clearing where I can see any <laughs> yeah, of the mountains. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but those those trails are they're not highly populated, so there's not a lot of people on them. So you kind of have the trail to yourself a lot of the time. Mm. Animals everywhere: mountain goats, black bears, um, marmots, bald eagles. They're everywhere. Yeah. Um, 
So that's probably one that I cherish the most also because I did it by myself, um, kind of just driving out there, just seeing what I could find. Um, so that's one I will always hold deep in my heart. Um, another one that I love is Bryce National Park. Um, that's in southern Utah. Um, oh, that yeah, one's yeah, small, okay. but that's also one that's not as populated, but there's this one loop you can do. You can see the park in, in about five hours. You can do the whole thing, which is really, really pretty. Um, is that where that guy got his arm stuck? Uh, 127, 127 hours. hours. I'm not sure that probably that's in a park in Utah. I don't know if that's in the Canyon lands or, Oh, I think it might have been. I Canyon think lands. it's that, um, cause the Canyon lands has a lot of like, um, like, uh, shoot like slot Canyon type mm-hmm. climbing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's there for sure, but that sounds like a place that it would happen. Side question. What would you have done? Would you have been able to like cut your arm off? I don't even know. I know, right? You put yourself in that. <laughs> How many hours in did he did he cut his arm off? I've never seen I, the movie uh, or, or, I, or I'm read not anything. Too sure. Uh, it was it was long in there. He was in there for days. I I would think it was probably like hour one hundred and twenty. Yeah, then it took I, seven hours to walk out of there. Yeah, I I would like to think that I could do it, Whew. but tough i got no clue no clue well no yeah i i couldn't even like think about making that decision until it actually really happened yeah i i those questions for me it's like yeah i would i would like to think that i could do the thing that would keep me alive but i need like 120 hours of like losing my (laughs) mind before that Uh, like uh, you gotta put me in the right sphere for me to be able to do that yeah yeah right oh my god yeah that and that is that's one of those things uh and i think it's one of the things that i like about the whole sailing thing is that um you find yourself stuck in these positions where there's no there's just no pause there's no stop there's no help you have to deal with it and i don't know i don't know if it's like something I enjoy about being tested or, or it's that hundred percent commitment thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, boy, being stuck in that with your arm just pinned. I, yeah, you will never know. No one could ever, I don't think honestly answer that except for him. Yeah. Obviously he, he knows that would be rough. Yeah. It's, it's even when people ask me, well, what would you do if you encountered a bear? I don't know. I've I've never encountered one that's even gotten close to me. They to, usually run so fast. Exactly. And the 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 closest moment I could ever get to that was my family and I. We were hiking in the Tetons. This was a year ago. We were doing some backcountry camping. I'm at the front of our of our line. We're on hour six or seven. We're just like, where is the campsite? We need to get to it. All of a sudden, there's this, this rustling. That's in these kind of grove of trees, these big plants that are next to us as we're like walking on this skinny trail. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, like I'm at the front of this line. I have to defend my family. (laughs) And all of a sudden this big bull moose pops out like 10 feet tall, huge moose. Yeah. And we all just like froze and it looked at us and then it walked away. But we were talking about, I was talking about with my family. I was like, if that was a bear, I I don't even know. I don't even know what I would have done. I would have liked to think that I would have pulled out the bear spray and been ready to go. But like seeing an animal that close, that big, you it's, it's something when you've never seen it before, your brain has to process. Oh my God, this is actually a gigantic creature that is in front of me that I've never seen before. Yeah. I've seen it in pictures and videos, but I've never seen before. Right. So seeing it projecting it with your own eyes and it's 
10 feet in front of you mm. is a completely different ball game in terms of dealing with that. Yeah, you get the training of the backcountry camping, spray, spray the bear spray in you like a cloud. Checklist. I have my checklist, yeah. but like... You don't know until it, it happens. It, it could take me 30 seconds to get to the checklist before my while my brain is processing. Yeah. Oh, oh. my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, I remember uh, I had a, a snorkel trip, only like five or six guests, and we were right off of uh, Branson's Island down in the BVI. Been there a thousand times, taking tons of snorkel trips over, no big deal. And we have lemon sharks, and we've got little gray you know, reef sharks. You, you know, you'll see those, maybe up to like five feet or something. Most times they're just hiding under the coral, and you're like, whoa, look, a shark. And yeah. people are like, ooh, neat. I'm out there snorkeling, and I'm with them. They're over there, you know, 50, 100 feet away, something like that. I'm kind of off on my own. And just out of the corner of my eye, like a 10-foot bull shark just slowly blows by, maybe 10 feet away from me. Teeth, everything right there, like I'm in shark week. And I was just – I was – totally frozen yeah i just looked at it and i didn't i didn't want to move i didn't want to do anything i didn't want it to i didn't even want it to know i was there yeah i think i mean you're so out out of your element when you're in the water and i suppose even in the woods yeah with like a bear or or a mountain lion well they say though you never know you get attacked by a mountain lion right because they pretty much they'll come out of nowhere exactly and you're already dead yeah (laughs) it's like neck gone uh, but yeah, I don't know. It it is one of those crazy thoughts that you'll never really know how you're going to react to it until it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Hmm. As well, uh, uh, the the presentation. I think I think what makes the presentation that I'm doing right now kind of interesting is I got to find that out. You know, twofold with the with the boat going upside down and then struggling to get back without being able to sleep and all that stuff, you know, for a couple of weeks. And it, it's, I, I find that that's what people seem to be liking or enjoying about it is they're, they're like, it's interesting to see how a human being dealt with that situation. Sure. And, you know, made it through uh, without sort of losing it and stuff. I don't know. So that stuff's been on my mind. It's been interesting to, yeah. to share some of these thoughts, man. Yeah, when talking about re- uh, resilience, there's this short story. I forget who it's by, but it's uh, Most Dangerous Game. It's about uh, how this 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 world renowned hunter captures prisoners and he sets them loose on the island, oh. and he and he like hires he brings people in to like hunt them. So most dangerous game is human beings. He, they're hunting for human beings. And right. at the end of the story, sorry spoilers, um, one of the of the uh, prisoners like break he breaks free of of the hunter's grasp. And then he he kills the hunter, but just. There's a part in there where the hunter talks about why they're doing this. And he's like, well, I mean, obviously they're the most dangerous because they're humans, but like they're the most resilient. They can get over anything. They have creative thinking brains that can problem solve when someone else is trying to hunt them that these animals 200 years ago or 500 years ago, how, how, however many years, were not thinking about human beings hunting them. Yeah. Right. So the fact that you're able to hunt something that thinks the same way you do allows you to understand how that how their how a human's brain works in terms of how resilient they are how how much they can problem solve immensely to avoid even the most world-renowned hunter's grasp yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's 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 a very interesting 
read. I, I actually read it with my, I used to read it with my sophomores, my honors sophomores, and they, we talk about kind of human resilience in that, oh, in, really? in that regard. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, it is, yeah. I mean, because as long as you don't have a quick exit that you can just, you know, like I always refer to it as the pause button. If you don't have a pause button, then you do. You, you, I think your brain clicks into a different mode where, you know, you're not, People asked me if I was thinking about, you know, if I was going to die or this or that. And there was a section, you know, when I was in these really big, big waves where I was kind of like, holy cow, there wasn't really anything I could do anymore at that point. Um, but like when when the boat had been turned over and then dealing with that situation, trying to collect everything, it was just sort of like, OK, well, we got to do this and we're going to do this first and we're going to do that and that. And it's it sort of you sort of figure it out. Right. It wasn't like I had a checklist and I knew exactly what I was supposed to do because, you know, every single situation is going to be different like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there there definitely is there's a fighting spirit, I think, inside of every single one of us. And all we need is a situation to bring it out. But I think, you know, unfortunately, in, in this day and age, a lot of people will never even find that they'll never they'll never get to know that part because maybe because society's so based around comfort and safety security maybe just because you know you don't have to go and get yourself in those situations really anymore um you know it's not 1532 it's not exactly 500 bc or whatever what's that that herb brooks quote the um, U.S. hockey coach, when he says he says, uh, "Great moments are born from great opportunity." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're you're not gonna know what you're made of unless your boat flips over or unless something catastrophic really happens to you, right? So, I, I like to start off some of my sailing lessons with quotes like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and the, the some of the stuff from like uh, that movie Independence Day. Oh Maybe yeah, today. absolutely. Just, I don't know. You know. You, you got to get people in the right frame of mind. When Welcome to about, Earth. Yeah, <laughs> just just about to jump in on a boat, first time ever. Let's let's get them psyched up. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I do. That's it. This is great. How much? How much time are we on here? Because I, I know we've got we've got a lot of stuff going on tonight. Sure. And I don't want to steal all your time. No, you're good. Oh, it's pretty dim in here. Oh yeah, we're past an hour already, man. Uh, well, if you've got time, I I'd do. love to talk about juicing. Can I have another one of these? I was just going to offer yes. you another ice I w- cold beverage. I would love a reload. Do you want to you maybe, as I go into the other room and grab this, um, maybe just talk a little bit about your teaching? Sure, yeah. Um, so, for everyone listening, uh, I am a high school teacher on the uh, south side of Chicago. I teach at an all-boys Catholic school. Um, called Mount Carmel High School. Um, I'm an English teacher there. I teach the uh, American literature for our juniors. And then um, for our seniors, I teach uh, AP literature. Um, My athletic director and my principal, they like to call me the guy that wears all the hats. So I do a bunch of different things. Um, I'm our varsity men's volleyball coach. Um, I am our student activities director. So I uh, handle all the clubs. I run all the school dances. I'm our student council moderator. Um, and as of about two days ago, I will be Mount Carmel's first sailing instructor. We are getting a a, wow. a club sailing team, which a lot of donors have graciously um, gave money for us to um, have lessons at the Jackson Park Yacht Club. So I will be moderating that as well, which is for me so entertaining because I've never gotten to use the skills that I've learned here in a different context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
so I do all that. I'm in the in the school year. I'm pretty much as busy as I am in the summertime. Yeah, it's just yeah. a different type of work. Um, and you have a girlfriend. And I am dating someone. Yes. Can I can I just pause you there? Sure. Because I'm I'm obviously used to being. Oh, cheers. Cheers. I'm used to being sort of on my own, right? Uh, lovely. <laughs> Uh, you know, I got a boat mm. and that's a lot of work and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, I like to try and do as much and be as productive as I can be. Um, but this summer, you know, I've been in like full on relationship and, um, trying to balance everything out. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, I think for a, a couple things for me, it's, um, first dependent on the person that you're with. Um, Sarah is an amazing woman probably one one of if not the um most kind and um and uh forthcoming and gentle souls that i've ever met in my life um she cares for me more than any other person that i have ever been around um so dating her is a very different experience just because of um how much she kind of empowers me um would i still do the same things if i was or wasn't dating her yeah probably but um, she fills the other kind of half of, um, why I kind of live for human interaction so much that I could have ever imagined. And for her, she understands that doing these things makes me happy. So for her, um, she, I wouldn't say allows me to do these things, but she, she understands kind of how my brain works and what I do. So balancing that and she understands how, how much school and how my school community really matters to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm there at school a lot. So she understands that these are kind of some of the things that makes my brain tick. So, um, is she able to join you for a lot of that stuff? Yeah. So she does. Um, the last, at least the first two or three years that we were dating, we, we would take a, a trip to a national park every year. So we went to, we went to Rainier together. Um, we, we did like a two week driving tour, um, in 2020 during COVID. Um, we went to Acadia together. Um, we hiked Yosemite together. We've, we've done a lot of different trips together. I took her to her first national park. I think she had been to, um, what's this national park in Chicago or not Chicago. I'm sorry, California. I forget what it's called, but she had been there when she was really young, but I took her kind of on her first like national park tour. Oh, she kind of fell in love with it there. Yeah. So we've been on trips kind of all the time together. Mm -hmm. Um, this has been the first summer that we kind of hadn't been on a trip together just because of our schedules didn't really match up. Um, she went to San Diego. She went, um, I went to the Tetons. We kind of just bumped around a lot of different places, but, um, she knows what makes me happy. And, um, she, uh, not, not necessarily like gives me the space to do those things, but she understands that those are those, those are the, are the things that make me happy. And, she just gives her grace to allow me to kind of do them. Um, balancing it in the, the the school year, I think, is easier just because obviously I'm a lot more, I'm a lot closer to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, that that time is occupied with her um, on the weekends. Um, but she's an amazing woman. Um, I I love her to death for everything that she has given me and things that I can't explain. Um, and I think that just understanding that that's the type of relationship that we have 
there's no really need for like balancing that in terms of time just yeah, because it just we all work it just works and we we know that anytime we interact with each other like the quality of time is always greater than the quantity of time like every single time i've been back in chicago i've spent those that time with her yeah yeah, yeah. um not just because like she's my girlfriend but like i want, want to, to i want yeah. to spend that time with her because she deserves it um and i think that the time spent with her um in these last four years are some of the happiest moments i've ever been um, wow. so um Shout out, Sarah. shout out, Sarah! Yeah, hey. for making me feel the way that I feel in this present moment. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm treading water with one arm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, uh, I think it's for me. Uh, it's, it's one of those things, and and just listening to you describe that as uh, that, it, that's really good. That that sort of, that's where I want to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but going from a complete solitude sort of lifestyle to to not and to you know be taking on all these different things because i've always been uh pretty fascinated by people who are like ultra productive sure they're they're doing stuff all the time they're not wasting time they're doing stuff and they you know the only only drawback i've ever found to that is that makes time go by really fast right and and that's one of the things I've always liked about sailing is that sometimes it feels like you know a day can take a week out there, right? Um, just time warp stuff. But yeah, I mean it, it's been really interesting trying to trying to balance all of that stuff out with another person who I you know absolutely adore and want to just be around and everything. But I'm so used to like I've got to do my thing and I've got to do my thing alone because that's how i've always done everything right and trying to not so much balance it i guess but like share that share that space like that was one thing adrian had said to me is like can we just share space exactly and i was like i'd never heard that before right yeah like share space what do you mean (laughs) and it just means being like in the same room exactly and like i'm doing you know podcasts or i'm trying to do something and then you know she's over there doing another thing but we're still in the shared space yeah and it's all about um because when Sarah would come over on the weekends and I'm slaving over uh, reading essays and doing all those things I have, to, I have to do to get ready for the next day and just saying to her like, hey, I'm sorry, like I have to do this. And she's, she, and she's just like, okay, well, I'll just sit here. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, fine. Yeah. But just like being in the same presence with that someone and relationships inherently is just finding someone that you think is worthy of your time worthy of, of of you giving up your moments of where you could be doing anything mm-hmm. but you want to do it with that person in that context and it's better with and that it's better person. when that happens yeah, right yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's about finding that 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 person that 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 you believe makes the time where you could have been spent been doing spending alone but it's better with them yeah and that's what I'm discovering yeah for for me I have not I not only thought that I had found that in the first couple of months of what we were dating, but I have, it, it's been fully solidified in the last year yeah, or so yeah. of just, of, of, I've, of just being in the, in the same area and just understanding that there's always going to be someone in your corner, no matter what happens. And, um, yeah, like, and defending all of the decisions that you make, even if they may be right or wrong, just always having, having 
your back in terms of a philosophical switch not not even in just in just terms of like oh yeah you're totally right not in just being like a yes person but understanding how you feel as a person in different contexts and then channeling what they think that is best for you in that moment and finding someone who can equitably do that I think is very very powerful and um it just it just kind of like I wasn't necessarily looking for it when we started dating, mm-hmm. but I think that was like half of the best part is it just kind of like, it just happened. It yeah. just happened. Kinda and comes out of the blue. And those are, those are some of the, of the memories that I hold close to my heart is just thinking about how it just kind of came to be and just how it kind of built and how strong our relationship has grown in the past four years or so. You're a true Renaissance man. Yeah, I, 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 I guess so. It really I, is. I don't think about it like that, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've done anything special. Um, well, no, you're just, you know, I, it just uh, uh, in reference to being able to do all these different things. Um, you know, like you said, you, you're a man who wears many hats, and and that that takes a huge amount of commitment, takes a huge amount of energy, and and I guess that's a, a perfect lead into takes a, a lot of juicing heck yeah to get there and and when i say the term juicing you know i mean it, it really um well i guess how i guess here's, here's a good question how did you first find where, where where did you first come across juice so at camp in 2014 maybe it was 20 i forget what year it is but they they being Jack Stearns and oh, I, no last names. Oh sorry, Jack. <laughs> um and um Jack Stearns. Jack Stearns. Yeah, Jack S. Um <laughs> and it it was probably two thousand fifteen I first heard of it. Um Jack and Nick, Nick P. Um they shout out bitter and yakla. Exactly, yeah. Um they gave a presentation on juicing and it was like it, it, it was very funny, it was very upbeat. Um, and it was very different from all of the all of the meetings and the programming that we have done during staff week. Yeah. But the thing that shook me not maybe shook me to my core, but really really stuck with me was that not only can any can anybody do it, but that is why you live as a as a human being. Um, we read this book in my class called Into the Wild by John Krakauer. Love it. Um, and it's about Chris Pacandalus, how he is this very. Uh, comes from a very affluent family he graduates from emory he does all he he's doing all these things then he just packs up moves to alaska spends as much time as he can out there and then um dies of uh starvation of eating these kind of poisonous roots um but he writes in his book at the end happiness is only a real one shared i think what really stuck with me is that i'm doing this job at camp for the happiness of other people Mm -hmm. and if i can do that that's what makes me the most happy and they they led into like juicing is like juicing is is all about just like making someone's day, however small or large it it may be. And I think that once I understood that that is the job of a Camp Michigania staffer, mm-hmm. if I could do that good here and juice here, I can do it anywhere. And from that summer in 2016, I I just kind of ran with it. After that, after 2015, going into 2016, I ran with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's become kind of a like a personal philosophy of mine. I even use like in in the classroom or with parent teacher conferences. Um, and I think that it's it's so 
easily powerful of like just how it's described and how it can be used in any sort of context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I working here when I first got here, I was 21 years old. I did not know how to interact with people a little older than me or people that were in these these nice four-year colleges like the University of Michigan and stuff like that and I I felt completely outgunned and and then as the summer went on and I was able to watch how people interacted with our our guests coming in and you know not just proper like hello sir da, 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 how are you doing exactly. it was more like you know yucking it up and just sort of being like hey how are we doing and, and engaging with them and and all that and I learned that just by watching it and then year after year after year practicing it and then we I I can't I it's hard to pinpoint what exactly I think it was just that it was a funny word to say <laughs> no that's I, how it sort of started it yeah. was just like boy that's juicy yeah and then that turned into like you know hey let's juice that thing up and that meant that thing could be better we need to make it better let's juice it up exactly and it did i mean like i said when we did our presentation uh or when you did yours and i gave it a little <laughs> intro Sorry. it was a wee it was a wee effort yeah all right i appreciate that i appreciate that um yeah it, it just it sort of turned into a bit of a mantra and it, it was something where uh you know we took that 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 went on for years even down to the bitter end when i was working there it was a lot of juicing and and really yeah i mean the the emphasis of it and this is all from like a customer service sort of uh perspective but then yeah it sort of bled into life yeah every day you know how you interact with not only just people but everybody i like you know when we're doing like family stuff you juice the family absolutely yeah all right (laughs) we want i want to make sure you guys are having the funnest time because if you're having the funnest time i'm having the funnest time and then we just keep going and it just it's exponential it just gets better and better and you 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 get the energy from the juice yeah exactly and i've always come to find that juicing is all about being unapologetically yourself yes like that's the only that's the only way that in, in 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 which it works i'm not putting on a performance i'm not putting on like a facade just to make someone's day it's because my purpose here or just in life is to make the time i spend with you everlasting it's to make the time that I spend with you so everlasting that you either in this context want to come back and see that person that you saw from last year or uh, see that person that comes up to you and goes, hey, do you like remember me from when mm-hmm. I was like yeah, yay big yeah, yeah, when I was like three right? feet tall? It's like, oh, yeah, of course. And that you're, you're not doing those moments so you can just have people come up to you and say and say that. But you do those moments because it you realize that juicing someone makes an impact on their life forever it makes them into the person that like they thought that they that they wanted to be and now here they are um and if they hold that situation or that memory so close and dear to their heart it means that you're just doing a good job as just a human being yeah just it, ju- it supersedes the you know the job exactly so to speak, and it, it really speaks more volumes of like you said, being unapologetically yourself because you are presenting yourself, but you're you're engaging with the person 
whoever it is in whatever facet of life it is and really being right there with them and sharing sort of that moment, sharing that space, I guess, but intentionally doing so. Exactly. And knowing that you're doing it on purpose. You're not doing it to get followers. You're not doing it to get money. You're not doing it. You're, I mean, in some ways you could, you could lawyer it up and say, yeah, well, you're doing it to get this energy from this happiness that you get from doing this and sort of, uh, how's it, what's the best way to say it? You you are sort of getting something out of it because you're it makes you happy to do it, right? So there is that, I suppose. But like, yeah, it's um, it's hard to describe exactly. And I think that's one of the best parts about it. If, if there is, if, yeah, if, if, if like I'm being this, honest, this it's abstract, ambiguous. It's like the wind. It is no, it, it's it's very much like a a aura that that this place that Michigan kind of provides. It's very, it's it's it for for me. It's easy how juicing subverts any stress or any essence of kind of um, overposing reality. In, in just terms of how you can make someone feel just by striking up a five-minute conversation with them, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a transaction, how you're talking about, there's a transactional action of I'm wearing this shirt. Yeah. You have I'm a providing on, your service. I'm providing yeah. this service, but I can do the job by just doing the things that I'm instructed to do and put no juice into it, but is that going to make me fulfilled in no. terms of in terms of how I could have had that interaction absolutely not yeah um and I take that into account when I teach in high school my job I think is to make a high school students like the your time in high school it's my job to make these four years the best four years of your life of, up to this point mm-hmm. because you you only get four years you're never going to get it back and if I rob you of that happiness that's on me and that's horrible of me to do so. So yeah. it's my job to bring it every single day, give you my best self every single day because this interaction that we have, you're never going to have again. I had it. I know what it feels like, but you you may not have it ever again. So it's my job as a teacher-to-student relationship to make it the best that it can be. And even if it's just saying hello in the morning or like, making a sarcastic comment right that that kind of like uplifts you that that yeah, that yeah. makes you feel up uh, uh, having a little fun exactly with it. that makes you feel a part of the classroom but understanding that we as human beings ha- happiness is only real when it's shared with other people and if i can use that to my advantage and juice up every every single every single situation then it's my job to do it all the time. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's 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 not my job to just do it when I feel like it. I owe it to myself and the people around me to do it all the time. So people always ask me in in this job, it's like, how are you always on? Like, how do you have the energy to yell and walk around and 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 scream and be so high energy? It's like, well, it doesn't make me tired because. It's it's like a superpower. It, yeah, it's filling. It's like a shield. It 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 fills my emotional capability or my um, emotional sentiments while I'm doing it. So yeah, at the end of the day, I may be physically tired, but mentally I'm like, let's do it again. Do it. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, so yeah. much fun. Let's yeah. do it again. And I think that if I can put myself into the juicing frame of mind every single time, 
not only does for me the situation be more fun but all of kind of the levels of stress kind of just kind of melt away and nothing matters yeah all, all the anxieties all of the the previous perspectives i had of a situation or a person that just kind of goes away and now it's just my job is to make this interaction the best interaction that it can be however i need to do it and however authentically i need to do it that's what i'm gonna do yeah and it's a beautiful thing, man. It's so beautiful. It truly is. Well, and, you know, to be honest, one of the – because there's, there's sort of – there's the service aspect. Like, I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. I'm going to bring as much energy to this this conversation or this service that I'm doing. Um, but I'm also going to do it, like you said, in, a, in an honest way. I'm going to be myself. But there's also a goofiness to it. Yeah. Where, and that actually came from – uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, it's an early Bill Murray movie called Meatballs. And okay. he's at a kid's camp, um, you know, in the Northwoods, and he's like the the supervising counselor, and he's got all the counselors in training and all that stuff. And he just walks around like nothing, nothing's ever going to get him down. I mean, he's goofy, sarcastic. It's a great movie. I've always felt like we ought to watch it during yeah. staff meeting sort of thing. Um, it, it just... The way he interacts with people is just with this very confident, sort of goofy personality. And he's just, he is the grandfather of juicing. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see, I don't know if you've ever seen any, there's there's all these crazy stories about, like, you know, Bill Murray showed up at this wedding. And he just, like, got to know everybody. He was dancing with my grandma. <laughs> and And that's sort of the embodiment, I think, of... That the whole idea of juicing is that, yeah, you you just bring yourself to a situation, no matter what it is, a job or just something, and and you're there and you're gonna be a hundred percent committed to it and you're going to try and uplift and and bring this positivity and make that situation better. Yeah, and kind of what you touched on, just going to a situation and just thinking, like, why not? Like, why aren't I just gonna try to yeah. just 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 juice this thing to its to, to its highest potential um and i think that that comes from the fact as well of like these interactions are that you have with people here specifically are microcosms of how it exists in the in the real world right i mean i'm not i'm i don't go up to someone on the street of chicago and say hi like how are you yeah well there's a danger factor there's a, yeah that, you know, you, you, um there's a reality yeah but the fact that you can kind of practice that here and just understanding that um this place allows you to kind of not take yourself too seriously and i think juicing happens when you don't take yourself too seriously and understand that institutions will far live out people far so understanding that i am not more important than the place that i am specifically here there have been staffers since how God knows how how, yeah. how how much one, 60s, whatever. But their stories live on under the umbrella of the institution. And I think that just understanding that I as an individual will be outlived by the by the boundaries and security that this place provides makes me want to do my job even more. It makes me want to juice even harder than I was when I was 21. And I think that 
if people can understand that, that that's how it exists everywhere, mm-hmm. that the that places outlive, that we are not more important. No individual is more important than than the place we are in. All we can do to work towards that is just to try to just keep building the reputation of of the place that we that are. That place, in. yeah. You're adding to the lore. Exactly. And if if I can be a a tiny notch or a tiny speck in the Michigania lore that someone remembers or or that added to someone's um someone's want and continue